Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Clem Rowe, who's the Managing Director at Inflatable Packers International Limited, who are a leading designer and manufacturer of downhole products with distinctively different inflatable packer technology. Um, These inflatable packers can be used in uh, mining for rock burst migration, block caving hydro fracture, uh, remote or deep permeability testing, uh, rock, uh, rock stress testing, um, and also custom-made solutions to fit your uh, requirements. Clem has over 30 years in the design and manufacture of inflatable packers. Um, so he's here today on the podcast to tell us more about these products um, and how they can benefit the mining industry. So that's welcome, Clem, to the podcast. How are you doing, Clem? Yeah, good, Rob. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, come onto the podcast. So um, as I mentioned, you've been in the industry for for a long time. So I wondered if you could give us, (laughs) I wondered if you can give us um, an overview of your, of your career. um, And then obviously tell us a little bit about IPI Packers. Okay, for sure. Um, My entry into mining really has been via um, a strange route in that, um, I didn't really have much to do with mining at all, even though I was born and bred in a mining centre in Perth, Western Australia. Um, My um, profession is, I'm a mechanical engineer by profession, and I started off my working career working in offshore construction. That's construction for offshore platforms, basically. And that eventually led me to offshore foundation drilling, which is drilling for offshore foundations, as it says, as it sounds like. Um, And I got involved in in doing some of that, or actually remedial work on some foundations offshore of the northwest um, coast of Australia. Um, And I got involved there with a local inflatable packer manufacturer for injection of um, an epoxy cement, basically, to strengthen the formation there. And when that project finished, um, the guy who owned that company offered me a job, and I thought, oh, well, this is something more interesting than what I was had lined up, which was probably, you know, work back to an engineering consultancy and tender on some projects and hope something came up. So I, um, I jumped ship there and joined the, that small company. It was a very small company at the time. It was only about, I think probably I was the 10th employee. So um, that was how I got involved with inflatable packers. And because inflatable packers are used in the mining industry, I, I started to take an interest in mining locally. And, um, and started learning more about it as I was learning about inflatable packers. Also in that position, I, um, I had the opportunity to do a lot of development work to improve the types of tools that were manufactured with inflatable packers, um, including inflatable packers, I mean. And, uh, and I found it very interesting. The owner of that company was, um, a guy who really didn't want to do anything outside of Australia. He didn't trust export. He was worried about his ideas being stolen, his designs being stolen and things like that. 
So after um, about 12 years working there, I finally summoned up the courage to, um, to talk to him about starting a, an independent company that was going to be focused on, on export, on, on the international market. And that's really where, where IPI started off from. Um, our inflatable packers, I mean, I don't know, I hope that your audience understands what an inflatable packer is. Uh, they're not a, a very common, I guess, um, product that you're going to find on, you know, most, um, most drilling sites even. So I think I probably should explain a little bit what an inflatable packer is. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I think the simplest description, which is very misleading, is uh, a balloon on a stick, um, <laughs> which I think first came from uh, our American director, um, not one that I'm, I'm very fond of. And I think a, a more appropriate description is it's, it's like a short length of hose, a rubber hose, a metre or so long, but when you pressurise it internally, it expands radially. So if you put it in a hole in the ground, that means that when it expands, it will block that hole. Uh, and in fact, in the simplest configuration, that's exactly how it's used, as a plug, to plug a hole. You, um, this is a very common application, mostly in oil field, less so in mining, but uh, just the, the packer, the plug is put in the hole, inflated, and it blocks the hole. For most applications though, this expanding hose has a, a pipe running through the center, and it's sealed at both ends of that pipe, so that when you inflate it, it seals the pipe in the hole. So you can then pump through the pipe either in either direction, either into the ground or out of the ground. And the word packer itself, um, it comes from to pack off, which means to seal. And I think it's probably American in origin. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I imagine it probably is. Um, and it typically re refers to the type of seal that we get with a pipe through the middle and the annulus packed off or sealed. Um, and that's the way packers generally work, is that it, it starts off on the, on the pipe and it inflates outwards to steal an annulus. But in our research, we've discovered that we can also do it the other way, is we can start off outside and inflate inwards to seal on a pipe. So we call that an inward inflating packer, for want of a better term. And these find applications in mining for flow diversion, for very low pressure BOPs, blowout preventers, uh, and also very occasionally for downhole use too. I guess the term packer itself uh, is certainly not limited to only inflatable packers. There's many different sealing technologies which are called packers. Some of your audience would probably be familiar with the K-rubber packers, which are used on sealing a screen into a water well, just a static seal. Uh, there's another type called a swellable packer. They're used very, very occasionally in mining, but they find a lot of application in uh, zonal isolation, oil field applications, in oil well completions. And this, in that case, the, the rubber itself is a, a rubber which absorbs oil or, or liquid or water. And in doing so, it swells up. So it's just a state piece of rubber stuck on a pipe, usually. When you put it in the, in the environment that it's going to be used in, it swells up and it creates a seal. And then the most common type is a mechanical packer, which is again, a rubber ring on a pipe, which is compressed axially, which causes it to expand radially and it makes a seal. Of course, it doesn't move very much because um, 
you know, there's nothing to continue it expanding after it's been compressed. Inflatable packers, on the other hand, can um, expand a long way, up to three times their original diameter. In certain cases, even more than three times. We have an application where we have a, a nine-inch packer inflating into an, a 30-inch pipe, which is a uh, more than a three times that um, expansion, and looks pretty impressive too, by the way. If you wanted to see that, you can see it on our website. Inflatables are used less than most of the others, um, not because of their they lack um, the ability to be used in most cases where the others are used, but because they are more expensive, being more complicated and more difficult to make. They're also more difficult to operate. But in our opinion, they're the most versatile of the uh, of the many packing pack off options available. Yeah. The other thing about inflatables that I, that I really should mention is that ours, the ones that we make are not the only type, which uh, complicates things even further. There's probably five or six different types. The simplest ones are what they call balloon type packers, which are really just a rubber tube, like a, you can make one with a bicycle tube or a car tube and just band it, strap it to a piece of pipe and uh, put some in, some air, usually on nitrogen, in there to inflate it, and it'll, it'll make a low-pressure plug of one sort or another. Occasionally, these things get used for, for monitoring ones. And then the next step up from that would be one um, a rubber cylinder that's synthetic fabric reinforced. Synthetics could be you know, nylon or polyester, or um, for higher-pressure cases, you could even have Kevlar or carbon fiber reinforcement. And that's getting towards being a serious inflatable pack in our view. Yeah. There's also the hose yeah. type of inflatable packers, and these are manufactured on a machine. They're steel wire reinforced, um, and they're very common in, in low-pressure grouting applications, in construction and uh, other similar applications. Oil field, uh, not oil field, water well and uh, mining use them as well, um, but not as extensively. The other type, or one of the other types of woven steel wire reinforced packer uses a woven steel reinforcement so that the, you know, it's like a braided steel, if you like. Uh, it's braided around a, an inner tube, which is a separate inner tube. It's not bonded to it. So you have an inner tube that's separate, um, a woven carcass of steel reinforcement. And on top of that, you have a, a rubber cover, again, often separate. And this construction was originated in the oil field. And it, it does offer a very, uh, a very competent high pressure um, packer. It's mostly been superseded now by a different type, which is still a separate inner tube and a separate cover. But instead of the woven uh, steel wire, they're using steel slats these days, which is like, imagine Venetian blind slats but very high tensile steel, they overlap each other and wrap around axially around a, a cylinder so that when the cylinder inflates, the, the slats sort of slide one across the other as they, to open up. They're very good for, um, for high expansion, for high temperature, um, but they have their limitations as well. And then there's our sort, which we, um, which we champion in every environment we can. Uh, ours are contrawound steel wire reinforced, and they're a full composite. So the inner tube, the reinforcement, and the cover is a, a full rubber composite. So all vulcanized together, which makes them very, um, very robust. And uh, as I said, we're, 
doing our best to prove that they're the best high performance choice in all applications. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned about all the different types of uh, packers there. Um, what 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 examples can you give where your packers uh, are used by the mining industry? So, just wanted to give us some examples. So, some of our listeners may who may not be using packers, but may feel, oh, that that, that could actually help us. Um, I wanted to just give us some examples. Sure. There's, there's fortunately many examples of the. Uh, where inflatables are used in the mining industry. I'll just give you a, a list of a few, which is like hydraulic fracturing, which is, I think, quite a well-known one, at least the term, uh, permeability testing, solution mining, which is a growing one, um, high-pressure grouting, especially for curtain grouting, and there's several applications around water wells. I can just um, give a little bit more detail on each of those, but starting with hydraulic fracturing, because that's often, um, elicits a quite emotional response from people these days because of the, the very bad press that hydraulic fracturing has got from the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Um, the entire environmental movement seems to be against it. And mm, I won't comment on that any further, other than to say I'm happy that um, the variety of hydraulic fracturing used in mining has very little to do with that variety and certainly has none of the potential environmental impact that I'm aware of anyhow. Underground mining uses hydraulic fracturing for two main applications. One is in mine planning stages, and the other is in production. The one used in, in mine planning is what they call stress testing. Uh, stress testing, the, what they're trying to work out is what the in situ stress field is in the, in the rock that it, they intend to go ahead and mine, because that, that will um, have a big bearing on what sort of supports they need in the mine and even the directions in which they, they actually uh, arrange the mine. So one of the ways that you can work out what the in-situ stress is, is drill a small diameter hole, install an inflatable packer, a straddle configuration, which is basically two packers, a double packer, inflate the packers and then pump water in between them to a very high pressure to create a fracture. And the, frac the pressure at which that fracture opens um, tells you one, something about the rock strength and two, something about the, the, uh, the stress field in that rock. In, in fact, the least principal stress is the one they're looking for with this. It's because it will break along that line. Um, and then once you've created a, a break, you can open and close the break to better characterize the ground. You could also install what we call an impression packer into that fracture and take an impression of it along with a, um, a downhole compass so that you can determine not only the strength of the rock and the direction and the and the uh, in situ stress but also the direction of the stress field from the direction of the fracture so that's one of the probably the early ways that uh, hydraulic fracturing has been used in mining and it's still used a lot in 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 that application they tend to be smaller holes drilled from underground um, rather than um, the larger diameter ones that are used for some of the other applications. And principle among the other actual application is one called uh, um, block, is for block caving, it's preconditioning, um, preconditioning of the rock mass for block caving. By preconditioning, what they're trying to do is break up the rock mass. So that, I, I don't know if you're familiar with block caving, but block caving is basically a, a mining method where they, they go in underneath the ore body with a with a access tunnels, and then they drop the ore body down into there 
muck the ore out and mine it out that well. Um, now, sometimes that's great if the, the ore body is supposed to fall down under gravity, but if it's, if it's too competent, it won't fall down into the hole. So you can precondition it, pre-fracture it using hydraulic fracturing. In this case, what they do is they drill a, a pattern of holes up into the ore body um, and they'll then install inflatable packers into the, each of these boreholes, you know, one at a time and fracture, say, every one, two or three metres as they come down the hole, if they're going up hole or from the bottom up if they're going down hole, um, in an effort to break up the ground, basically, so that it will flow properly afterwards. Now, one of the other possibilities with hydrofracturing, it's, it's sort of a little controversial as to how well it works or not uh, at this stage, but it's certainly being investigated very thoroughly and uh, in, implemented in some cases in some mines. Uh, and that's to use hydraulic fracturing in very much the same way as for the, the preconditioning. But in this case, what they're trying to do is redirect the rock stress to relieve the rock stress to guard against rock burst. Uh, as you're probably aware, rock burst is a very dangerous phenomenon which can occur in under, deep underground mines because of the high stress in the rock. Um, and it certainly has been responsible for the death of many miners. So this is a, a very promising technique, which is being, as I said, investigated and being implemented as a routine measure in some places. It's going to become more and more um, common, I think, as mines get deeper and deeper, which they're certainly doing. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned hydraulic uh, fracturing. How is that obviously used in mining and how does it differ from obviously oil and gas? Well, the, the main uses in mining are the ones I've just described. The, yeah. the in oil and gas, the, the biggest difference is really the volume of, of uh, fluid that's pumped in. In the biggest um, volume or highest flow rates that you like that you ever see in a, in a pre-fracture, in a preconditioning fracture, is probably around 300, 400, 500 litres a minute. And that'll be pumped for maybe 20, 30 minutes, that sort of thing. And what they're doing there is they're opening a fracture and then they're using that flow rate to propagate the fracture. They're pushing the fracture out to make it longer and longer. So they break up more and more of the rock. In, in shale oil and gas, uh, tight oil and gas, what they're doing is exactly the same process. And the pressures there are much lower for most cases because their rocks are lower and their stresses are lower. They don't have tectonic stresses to deal with for most cases. So their pressure is lower. But the flow rates are ridiculously high. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you see a, a frack job, um, pictures of a frack job, oil field one, you'll see a, a whole bunch of trucks, big pump trucks lined up. So they'll be pumping, you know, whereas you'd only have one of those for a underground hydraulic fracturing for a mining application. For an oil field application, you might have 20 of them. So they're, and they're pumping for much longer. They're also pumping, in most cases, they're pumping proper, which is typically sand, to hold the fracture open afterwards, which they need to do because they want to produce through there. Whereas we're not looking to produce, we just want to break the ground up. So that's, that would be the main difference, I guess. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, permeability testing. Um, I wonder if you can just explain a little bit more detail around that um, and obviously it being a major use in the mining industry. Sure, and it is probably the largest use of inflatable packers in the mining industry, um, and probably the the only 
um, exposure many drillers will ever have to inflatable packers in fact in fact in the mining industry it's they call it packer testing and what it is is uh, it's normally associated with a, a wireline coring exploration program where they are wanting to include a hydrogeological investigation alongside their exploration drilling um, in this case they'll um, there's a packer system available that when they after they've cored a certain section of the hole they can pull the core barrel out a wire line and then run a packer system in there inflate the packer and do a permeability test and that's just pumping water into the ground uh, under a specific pressure for a specific period of time and checking how much water how much flow how much pressure that sort of thing that's a very simple test now uh, what we did was we developed a system. I, these tests have been around for like, let me think, I don't know, since the 60s, I would imagine. Uh, 1960s, that is. I have to clarify these things now. Uh, so, yeah, these tests have been around a long time and they were always using gas inflated packers. Now, now packers can be inflated with gas with a separate inflation line. Um, but you're very limited to the depths you can run with that sort of system because the gas pressures um, very quickly become very high because you have need enough gas pressure to expand a packer that's underwater. And if your hole's 300 meters deep, well, that means you need 30 bar of pressure just to start expanding it. If you want to then test at another 30 bar, you need 60 bar of pressure in the packer. And that's starting to get up there in terms of how much gas pressure you might have available on surface. So we looked at that and thought, well, there's got to be a better way. And we came up with what we call SWIPS, which is a we'd like to call it a standard wireline inflatable packer system. Um, and it basically uses water to inflate the packer instead of gas. And we don't have a separate inflation line. We use the drill pipe to inflate the packers via a system of valves. Um, and we use the drill pipe again to def. And we actually either use the drill pipe to deflate or the wire line to deflate. Uh, we have those options. And we introduced this product um, initially in about 2005, I believe, as a standard product. It was our very first standard product. Um, and we, we launched it, you know, something very new for us in those days was a marketing package and everything like this. And it had it first runs in this configuration even though we'd had we had uh, some trial runs in New Zealand prior to this with the New Zealand company but after the launch of the product its first runs were in Papua New Guinea and uh, it didn't get off to a great start I was actually on that job and when I turned my back after we'd done the first test uh, the driller had decided it was trying to retrieve the packet so he just hauled on it and we got half of it back <laughs> <laughs> So after a little bit of a uh, little bit of um, training, and um, we subsequently got some pretty good testing done there, and we came to the notice of a Canadian hydrogeology consultancy company, and they saw its potential, and, and really they they pushed worldwide for us through all of their different divisions, um, and to the extent that nowadays uh, SWIPS is probably the tool of choice in. Well, let's say all but the shallowest of mine hydrogeology investigations these days. And it's used all over the world. It's certainly our most popular and, and widest selling product. And um, but we have, you know, after we got SWIPS up and running, we did develop a second generation, which is a, 
a more sophisticated tool, which we call STX. And it's able to do a lot more uh, complicated, sophisticated testing because it has different features, like such as a downhole shutting capability. But uh, SWIPS is still holding its own. STX, of course, is being more complicated, is also more expensive. Um, that may have something to do with that story as well. But, yeah. Uh, um, you've seen a, a, an innovative company. Um, does innovation play a big part in IPI's development? It sure does. It, uh, in fact, it's been at the core of our development ever since the get-go. Uh, I'm, as I said before, an engineer by profession. I've, I've always loved working with mechanisms and trying to, you know, ferret out better ways of doing things with different tools. And the whole technology of inflatable packers, and the thing that attracted me to it in the first place is that it's really a wonderful playground for someone like me because it gives you a very flexible, a very versatile base um, technology that you can apply to many different applications. And when I first started IPI, I mean, we started really as a, as a custom innovator. Um, people would come to us with their real-world problems and we'd work out how to solve them using an inflatable packer. In fact, one of our very first um, permeability testing tools was um, for a, a tunnel investigation, a big underground tunnel in the Alps. Um, and this tool, when the customer came to us, they wanted a tool that they could pump down up to 1,500 metres into a horizontal section of the investigation hole um, do a permeability test, which is pumping in. They wanted to be able to pump in and also to extract fluid. Um, and they also, when they after they'd finished extracting, they wanted to take a sample of the natural fluids they'd extracted. So it was, it was a pretty big ask, um, but we did manage to work out a design and following some, you know, teething problems. As of course you always expect with a new design, we we managed to uh, to produce a tool that did the job. And in fact, that was the forerunner for the SWIPS tool that I discussed earlier. Um, SWIPS was a much dumbed down version of that, but it was the, that was the basic, gave us the basic idea for the SWIPS. We've continued to innovate ever since. I mean, every product we produce is in some way an innovation. We're not great on copying other people. We don't think that's a great way to get forward and get ahead in the world. Um, we like to do things our own way. And we put a lot of effort into, not only into the developing new products, but also into understanding the actual physics behind inflatable packers. Because inflatable packers um, are a combination, well, our style anyhow, it's a combination of steel wire and rubber. Uh, so it's a rubber composite. And rubber is one of those peculiar materials. It's hyperelastic. It's, uh, it has um, yeah, very poorly understood properties in the most part. And only an empirical knowledge of how it behaves, the actual let's say the, the fundamental physics of how rubber behaves is still not very well understood. So what we've, we've done for our particular product is we've taken both an analytical approach where we worked with a, a university mathematics professor of all things to try and develop a model of how these things work. Um, and then we've also in-house through our own research and development department, we've developed a digital approach using finite element analysis. Now, these things have allowed us to develop a software package that we think is pretty unique in the industry, and I'm talking across the whole industry, including oil field now. Um, that this software package enables us to predict with a high level of confidence exactly how a new design will work in terms of 
what what um, expansion pressure we we will get from it, um, what uh, will be its uh, burst pressure, for example, and how we can use it, how far we can push it, what temperatures we can run at it. In fact, bringing temperature into it has reminds me of another thing. We we had to develop a laboratory in Perth to investigate the rubber, the elastomers we were using, um, not just uh, under ambient temperature, but at higher temperatures, because you know deep mining running pretty high temperatures these days. Uh, we have application in Indonesia, which is up over 100 degrees C for mining. And in oil field, it's just it's quite normal to run those applications above 100 C, and typically the customers want above 150 C, but that's a little bit harder. But in order to investigate the capabilities or, or extend the capabilities of our product, we'd need to develop this, this whole laboratory, which not only looks at the, uh, at the physical characteristics, but also the chemical characteristics and how our rubber responds to different chemical environments. So it's uh, very demanding, but very satisfying, actually, to, um, yeah. to develop new products in that way. Yeah. Um how do you uh, how do you inflatable or how do you use inflatable packers uh, sort of benefit the tunneling and grouting? Uh, you mentioned obviously tunneling and grouting previously. Um, just wondering how these packers how how they actually uh, benefit um, those areas. Sure, um, it's it's sort of kind of interesting again as I hark back to the very beginning of IPI and one of the very first applications uh, when I was working by myself, by the way, was. Um, was to do a high pressure packer for a grouting application again in New Zealand. They um, there was an underground mine there, a deep coal mine, I believe it was, that intersected a, a water zone, a high pressure water zone, and they needed to inject pressure into this zone to seal it off. Um, so what they had was core holes with water gushing out of them under high pressure. They needed to some way of sealing it, plugging it, and then pumping cement in there. So we came up with an inflatable packer that they could push up to these holes with the with the center pipe open so the water could continue to come out so they were able to push it in the hole. Um, and then they inflate it, which would anchor it in the hole, and then they could pump cement through there. So this is one way that um, we've, probably the original way that we started working with offering a solution for high pressure grouting in these water control applications. Now, more recently, very recently, in fact, we've come up with something that we call the expandable, expandable standpipe, which uses an inflatable packer to expand a, a thin wall steel tube that has a rubber cover on the outside. Um, now this, which basically when the, when the steel pipe is expanded into a hole, it, it gives you a standpipe, um, which you don't need, didn't have to cement in there to have the standpipe. You just put it in the hole. You can put it in a hole where the water's flowing out, or you can put it in a hole before you drill into those high-pressure zones, which is preferable, by the way. Um, and in those circumstances, you can use the standpipe as you would any other standpipe to pump cement into the the um, formation to uh, create a, um, a waterproof zone, a curtain grouting, in other words. And that's applicable in mining, which is where we've developed it actually for mining, but it's certainly applicable for tunneling too. Um, in fact, we we think it's got a lot of legs. This product, to the extent that we've done something for us extraordinary, and we've applied for a, a patent on the design, which um, hopefully it all turns out well. Don't have a hell of a lot of experience with patents, um, but we have a few, and um, 
we, we think this one's this one's worth it. We hope so anyhow. And we hope to hear a lot more about it as it becomes more widely adopted. Yes, certainly. Um, you also have applications in solution mining and for water wells. I wonder if you can just give us an overview of that. Sure. Well, solution mining, as you're probably aware, other than for uranium deposits, which have been mined with solution mining techniques for a long time, um, it's really a new technique that they're trying very hard. There's a lot of research going on at the moment, uh, hard rock mining, um, hard rock ores being mined with solution mining, trying different lixidants and different mining techniques. And we know for a fact, because we're involved in some of this research and some of these early stage adoption of this, these techniques, we know for a fact that, um, that they will use inflatable packers in these applications. And we're hopeful, of course, that this becomes a, a more common mining method. And I believe it will because of it, you know, environmentally, it, um, it looks very good. I mean, it doesn't disturb the surface to anywhere near the extent that traditional mining techniques does. does. And that's got to be a good thing. Uh, as far as water well, well, started off actually, when I first went uh, international with IPI, I thought I was going to take the world by storm with water well products um, uh, because the company that I had worked for where I had developed a lot of these products um, had a quite a swag of different water well techniques that had been well accepted in Australia and when, had quite a history of use in Australia. Um, what I discovered pretty quickly when I got out in the big wide world was that um, there wasn't much need for, wasn't much call for it because what was valued in Australia uh, was not valued as then uh, elsewhere in terms of people weren't prepared to pay that much money for something they could do with other cheaper, easier ways as far as they were concerned. So Waterwell never went very far in the initial days, but these days, uh, there is a lot more applications, and we do um, everything from pump installations, well installations, to multi-level sampling systems, um, all around water wells, basically. I won't go into all the, the different possibilities because there's many um, people are interested. Again, the website's full of it. So. Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, uh, one question I didn't ask, which I should have asked probably at the beginning, um, is I just wanted to give us, um, obviously, um, IPI is international. Um, where guys, where are you based, and what countries do you uh, do you cover, and what where do you have your offices? Because I, I believe you're all over the world. Um, and sort of how many people work for that particular division? Sure. Yeah. Well, as you said, we, we're all over the world now. Um, we started in Perth, which is my hometown, Perth, Western Australia, um, and we've grown from there. Perth is still our major. Um, production. In fact, it, at this very moment, it's our only production source of production, our only factory, and it's our major employer. We have uh, in the region of 60 people employed in the Perth factory at the moment. Um, other locations are Montana in the US, which is a basically a, a sales and service with some warehousing. Uh, we have in here where I am, I'm actually based in Bulgaria. We have a sales office for Europe in Bulgaria. It, it used to be our only sales office here, but we've recently, since we've started doing more in oil field, we've opened an office in Amsterdam, which looks after oil field basically for Europe. And we've also opened an office in, um, in Houston. And we've shifted our head office to Singapore. 
So basically marketing, accounting, those sort of head office functions are done out of Singapore these days. Um, Perth remains the, the, uh, the factory, if you like. Um, but we are also developing a factory in, uh, just started developing a factory in Bulgaria. Uh, we think that's, that's more, uh, more for that for the future though, for sure. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, as a conclusion, I wonder if you can give us a, um, an overview of the next, I suppose, 18 to 24 months um, of IPI, what you're looking to do um, and how you're moving the company forward. Okay. Yeah, well, 18 to 20 months to, um, I mean, 12 to 18 months is probably pretty clear and pretty exciting too because um, – at the moment, we're just completing construction of a brand new premises in Perth, which are 50% bigger than where we're presently located and, and much better organised than our present location, I think. Uh, we're expecting to move in there uh, in October, in fact. Uh, the building is getting very close to completion. And it's, it's interesting and a little bit daunting as we started this project in Perth, uh, we bought the land in 2019. And we're just finishing the building now at the end of 2021. And um, in that, that period of time, even with COVID, our business has actually doubled in size in terms of turnover. So we, we thought we'd move into a new premises with plenty of space. Uh, it looks like we're going to be fully utilised when we, when we move in. So our rubber works, uh, we're also doing some other things in Perth. Is our rubber works there is, is clearly very important because of what we do, but also we're heavily reliant on our machine shop because not just we do the inflatable part of the of tools, we do the entire tool for the most part. And our machine shop already includes five CNC lathes, all very modern ones. Um, and it, when we move into the new shop, we're going to be buying another couple of very large ones. And also we'll be marrying them up with some robotic systems, hopefully to improve our productivity, which is as I said, we're expecting to be fully utilised in the new building. We're going to need that extra productivity well, going forward. The, the way things are recovering at the moment, I think that will uh, hopefully that will be needed. And as I also mentioned before, we're looking at a new manufacturing location in Bulgaria. It's in regional Bulgaria. Um, it gives us access to a central location in terms of supply to and from Europe and for the Middle East. And it also gives us access to, here in Bulgaria, a well-educated and yet very affordable workforce, which enables us to enter markets that traditionally we haven't been able to because of our high costs when we're manufacturing in Perth. Perth is a wonderful place, but it's very remote and uh, it's an expensive place to manufacture, employ people to do everything, even buying materials, everything. Um, and the guy who's uh, establishing the factory here uh, Dave Nell, who's a shareholder and a director, good friend of mine, has been actually my first employee at IPI. Um, and he's here with me in, in uh, Bulgaria. He's setting up that operation right now as we speak. Um, okay. Not oil field, but as I said, we've opened an office in Houston. I mean, not mining, it's oil field. We've opened an office in Houston. And we're wanting to extend that to basically bring it up to about the same standard as our Montana operation, which would mean that it's uh, it's able to fully service um, tools uh, and have some warehousing as well. Yeah. Um, and I suppose apart from manufacturing uh, these products, 
and then selling the products to, say, the mining industry. I take it you work with clients in terms of actually using the products in the mine. We, we do. Um, we have to tread a very careful line there because most of our customers are, in fact, service companies. They'll be consultants or drillers or straight-out service companies. Um, so we can't be seen to be competing with them. So what we prefer to do is we prefer to, to form partnerships with these companies, be it a driller or a, a straight out or a consultancy or a service company, train their people in how to use our products and support them in, in using them on site. Now that might be sending people on site for training, could be training them in our factory. Um, it can be just remote support, which is becoming more and more common in these COVID times where you can't travel. Um, so yeah, we've we've positioned ourselves as a um, equipment supplier, manufacturer, designer, and on the service side, we offer service where it's needed, uh, and we try very hard not to tread on the toes of our customers in doing so. You know. Yeah, now I understand. Uh, Clem, really appreciate your time in uh, give us an overview of obviously inflatable packers. Um, and I'm sure uh, a, a number of our audience would be um, will be interested in finding out more about um, your obviously your products and how you can help help them. Um, how can they go about doing that? Um, are you on any social media platforms as well? We are. We're on LinkedIn and uh, and Facebook. You can find us, and certainly the website is is always available. There's a lot of information on the website. There's also a lot of animations and videos. Um, which people find useful. It's a it's a quick intro into different different aspects of the of of how, of how our equipment works. Um, we may well be putting a copy of this one up there too as an intro. Yeah, you're certainly uh, certainly more than welcome. And we're um, we enclose those in the show notes accompanying this podcast anyway. So, and I think I suppose because um, I, I, as you're speaking, I'm trying to picture. How, how it all goes together. And I suppose by watching some of the videos that you've got, that you've just mentioned, that will make it a lot easier to, to identify your product and how it, how it can be used. So um, I'll certainly be having a look at those videos after this. So, um, so okay. I fully understand uh, um, obviously more about your, your product. So um, really appreciate your time, Clem. Um, and the audience, Hope you uh, found this useful. Um, I know a lot of a lot of our audience. I think this product could be of use to them, and um, and certainly appreciate if you can um, share this uh, this episode to other people within the industry that you feel that can actually use um, the the packers for whatever project they're involved in. Really appreciate your time, Glenn. Uh, Glenn for doing this uh, uh, episode and. Uh, thanks, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope to see you again, and uh, we can chat about Packers a bit more. Right? Yeah, um, yes, yeah, certainly. You can come on to uh, come on to um, the podcast later next year. Um, once, obviously, the expansion um, has has gone uh, in Europe, um, and you can give us an update then. So, um, thank you, audience, for listening, and please uh, share this episode. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.